Brother Keith, would you take those plates and pass them again? They're all empty. <laughs> well, goodness, it's good to see each one of you. What a tremendous time of music we've had this morning. Praise the Lord. Amen. So, some of y'all don't know this. Aaron never announces anything. He just kind of keeps quiet to himself. But uh, Lisa, where is Lisa at? Lisa, she's in the office. Well, she's heard this message twice already, so I guess she can. But Lisa does a whole lot of writing our music and arranging. She, she wrote the track that they used this morning. Yeah, so, I mean, there's a lot of things behind the scenes that are going that Brother Aaron has worked out, and uh, man, I don't know how he does it, but he does it, and we're thankful for it. Amen? Turn if you would. <laughs> Turn if you would to the 18th chapter of Book of Second Kings, 18th chapter of Book of Second Kings. We think this morning about real revival and how to have revival. What do we need to do? And there's a, uh, there's a lot of different things that different people have you do, A, B, C, D, and God's obligated to give revival. God's not obligated to do anything. He's sovereign. He can do what he wants to do. Uh, but there are some things that we could look at to help our lives. There's Lisa. Amen. There you are. <laughs> uh, all right. Thank you. Thank you. There are some things we can do, though, that will help facilitate God moving in the right direction to give us revival. Uh, look at verse 1, chapter 18 of 2 Kings. Would you stand, please, in honor of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, all-sufficient word? The Bible says, It came to pass in the third year of Hoshea, a son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Twenty-five years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned twenty-nine years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that David his father did. I don't know about you, but going through 1 Kings and 2 Kings, it's kind of refreshing to come to a place where we find somebody that did that was right in the sight of the Lord. Amen? I tell you, that's what we need today. And verse 4 says, He removed the high places and break the images, cut down the groves, and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and he called it Nehushtan. Father, thank you this morning, and I ask you, Lord Jesus, let, let nothing be heard in this place. You're the only one who can bind Satan and throw him out of here. You're the only one who can speak to our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we lean on you. We rest on you. Ask you to have your way in every life that's in this building. There are those who are sitting, Lord, in this place that their life between heaven and hell will be determined this morning. I pray, Lord Jesus, that people would not only hear the word, but they would be obedient to the word. And that, Lord, we would have this is an outpouring of your spirit in this place. We love you. Looking for you to do some great things this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Uh, usually when people start complaining about something, uh, it usually ends up going to the guy in charge of it. 
If the people are complaining about a football team, it'll usually end up being the coach that gets all the, uh, the heat and all the uh, fire from it. If people are complaining in the church, it usually ends up with the pastor. Uh, and I want to remind you that Brother Case is our pastor, so <laughs> you got a problem over there. Uh, I'm the senior pastor. He's the pastor, so you got a problem. Go with that. Well, this goes all the way back to Numbers. In Numbers chapter 21, uh, the Bible says the people spake against God, and they spake against Moses. And, and, and they said, wherever have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread, neither is there any water. Our soul loatheth this light bread. And, you know, you would kind of think our loving God would have said, you know, y'all are right. I'm going to send some macaroni and cheese with some good pork chops tonight for your supper, you know, to have everything done. But listen to what God told them. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Mm. There is one thing I've learned through 2 Kings and 1 Kings, is if the Lord's going to chasten us, it's usually severe. I mean, it, this is not some stand in the corner now for three minutes. I'm going to put the timer on, and you stand there three minutes. This is death. You get bit by one of these snakes, you die. So then it comes back, the people came to Moses and said, Oh my, we have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he'll take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass, put it upon a pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Now, this is a key time, even in Jesus' time in the New Testament, because in John chapter uh, 3, when he was dealing with Nicodemus, Jesus said this, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So he's tying in. There's a parallel here between uh, the brazen serpent there and between salvation. When you looked upon the pole of the brazen serpent, you lived. When you look upon Jesus being lifted up on the cross and you believe him and you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection, you live. You live eternally with him in heaven is what happens. So it's a great parallel. One of the greatest revivals recorded in the Old Testament takes place right here with Hezekiah. It is a remarkable uh, revival in itself, just uh, the way it happens. Uh, it's even more so in the conditions that went over. There's an idolatrous situation here. You see, what we see today, we're blaming. I mean, good grief. This week, a man won the woman's swim meet. Well, hallelujah, welcome to America. Isn't that something? I mean, you know, we shake our heads. We say, what in the world is coming next? I don't even want to ask what's coming next. I, I honestly, if four or five of y'all get together, I say, let's buy 50 acres out here in the woods where nobody knows where we are. And we just raise our own food. I mean, it's almost, I'm just joking. If you're on live stream, please don't repeat that, my soul. 
But we blame all of this other stuff, the immorality and the shape that the country's in and everything's going on. I want to tell you the real truth is it's our fault in this building right here. God never promised revival to a lost world. He promised revival to a saved church. And so the fact that we're just sitting and letting all this happen, because we've got people in the ministry that's saying, oh, preachers ought not to preach against this. Don't you mention transgenders. Don't you mention homosexuality. Listen, it's in the Word of God. It's called an abomination. How can you preach the Word of God and not mention it? Well, revival is a sovereign type of affair. And I don't believe you can contract God into a formula saying, if you do this, 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 then God is obligated to do this. I've seen folk like that. I hope you're not like that this morning. I've seen people tithing like that. I tithe, so therefore God has to keep my washing machine running. No, it don't. You just happen to have a good motor. That's all in the world that happened to your washing machine. Man, God doesn't make deals like that. Revival is a sovereign thing from God. But there are some things related. Uh, we're wanting God, let me just get in your business just for a moment. We're wanting God to touch our young people, amen? If you're here this morning and you're under 22, stand up real quickly. If you're under 22, Dave, sit down, you're not under 22. If you're under 22 years old, stand up there. Hey, you see all these young people here? You know? Thank you, guys. You can be seated. I want to tell you, the devil is out to get you. He wants to nail your generation and destroy your generation. And we've got parents that are praying this morning, oh, God, would you deal with my young people? God, we want our young people to be soldiers for the Lord. And the whole time we're saying, God, deal with our young people, we're housing the devil in our own houses. We're, we're letting him live in our house through the television. I, I, I don't know if the lady was here, is here this morning or not, but last week I preached on Leave it to Beaver, and she said, I'd never seen Leave it to Beaver. I thought, hi in the world. She said, I was raised Pentecostal. We didn't have a TV, so I've never seen Leave it to Beaver. And I said, lady, you know how blessed you were. Man, can you imagine what would have happened if Baptists would have said 50 years ago, we're not watching that thing. Mm, good gracious. The magazines, the internet, the clothes that are in the closet. Huh? You want to look like the devil's woman running around? You want to show things to yourself? Hey, that's nothing but the devil. And we're housing it in our own houses and out of the same breath saying, Oh God, help our young people to be strong Christians. Well, why don't you be a strong Christian, Daddy? How about you, Mama? MP3 players, tickety tockety, tickety tockety. <laughs> don't you dare raise your hand, young people. How many of y'all got some of them immoral video games that you're playing? You think that don't affect your mind? I remember years ago, you can ask my wife. She'll tell you the truth. I never, people say, well, I'll ask Becky. You're like, I'm an idiot. I don't ever tell the truth. You can ask my wife. Nobody could beat me at Tetris. 
Nobody. I mean, I could work that Tetris. I mean, you old folk know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I love that Tetris. Until one day I knelt at the altar to pray. Not here, but it was in another church. Knelt to pray, and I closed my eyes, and all I could see was in things coming down from Tetris. <laughs> you don't think that affects your mind? What you put in your mind comes out. And we're wanting revival to happen in our homes, and yet at the same time, we're not willing to sacrifice anything. We want to be part of the world. I shared this morning, uh, back years ago in our church uh, uh, in Port Natchez, we had a seven-week-long revival, and God just moved in a great way. It started with young people. I'll be honest with you, young people, if we're going to have revival here, it's probably going to have to start with you guys. Because us old folk are already settled in. We already dug the ground. We, you know, I mean, we're set. We're set. But God got a hold of that thing, and we saw over 700 people saved in seven weeks there. And just the things were just growing and growing, and, and, and people would come and say, how, how much longer are we going to do this? I mean, we were starting at 7 o'clock and closing at 11 every night except Saturday. Every night. And then they say, uh, my preacher, <clears throat> Little League's coming on. Soccer. And I got the dance team. And this, this is kind of, it's interfering. I said, don't, it don't have to interfere. Just let them go on and play Little League. I mean, we're going to have church. You go on and play Little League. You know what they said? Our kids would rather go to church. Now, you know God doesn't got a hold of somebody when that happens. Yeah. Things that are obviously pagan, we've done a good job at getting rid of them. I don't know of anybody that's got a bobblehead Jesus on his dashboard. I mean, the pagan idols, we, we've gotten rid of them. But I think there's some little things that maybe we may be holding on to that's causing us. I mean... <laughs> this serpent is over 700 years old. They, they gave it to, to, to Moses. That happened when the children of Israel were delivered from Egypt 750 years before 2 Kings was written. I'm thinking, who kept that thing that long? I mean, when they crossed the Jordan River, who had it? I mean, you had to bandage, you had to pack it up and all of that stuff every time you moved somewhere. When, when, when they invaded the city of Jericho, who had the brazen serpent? When they conquered the cities of Canaan through Solomon and Saul and Judges and David and all, who in the world had that thing? But Hezekiah, he had spiritual perception enough to realize that that brazen serpent was just as deadly as a heathen idol. You see, sometimes the things in the Christian church that we make an idol of can be more dangerous than the things outside the church. So, so let, let me just give you three things here, and we're through. The first thing is we're burning incense to a brass serpent when we worship a past experience. Now, I said when we worship a past experience, there's nothing wrong with remembering the past. But the Hebrew word here 
talks about continually offering incense. They're not doing it once a year on a homecoming saying, let's remind ourselves on the 4th of July about this. No, they're doing it daily. They're doing it hourly. They're, they're, they're burning incense to it. And a lot of people today are worshiping the past. And what we're doing when we worship the past is we're wasting the future and the present while worshiping the past. Now, God's blessed this place. My soul, you know, the hand of God has been on this church, and there is no, you can't, you can't do anything. I had some guys from the convention when I was up there. They said, Brother Charles, you need to write a book. I said, write a book? I don't have time to tie my shoes. I have to put on, uh, slip on shoes. I can't write no book. Wow, you've done a marvelous job. I said, well, I can write a book in one sentence. But God. That's all you can say. Can't nobody take credit for what's happened around here. It's all God. It's all God. I just remind you, though, the same God who puts his hand on this place can also take his hand off this place. I think one of the greatest things that has given us a new lease on life was restoring this prayer room over here where people are praying constantly uh, for the interceding for this church and for different people in this church. That's where the powers come from. There's nothing wrong with remembering the past. Matter of fact, here in, when Hezekiah says he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to his father David, that's remembering the past. There's nothing wrong with that. He, he, he remembers the past, but you can't worship the past. You see, that's where the difference is. There's a difference in remembering the past and worshiping the past. Remembering, when we remember what God has done, that ought to spring us to do more for God. Well, I'm going to say it again. Maybe they'll get three amens. When we remember what God has done, and how good he has been, that ought to spring us forward to looking for what God is going to do in the future. But when you're worshiping the past, you're, you're hooked in right there. You're dead to the present. You're dead to the future. Another thing that involves us in worshiping the past is when we substitute the past for progress. I can't tell you how many churches I've been to that people would say, Wish you'd have been here 25 years ago. Whoo, we was on fire 25 years ago. We've got one sitting out there right now on Farm Road 968 that can say that same thing. When I came here 20 years ago, they had over 300 people out there. We took the church over. There were 14 left. Mm. You see, you can't worship the past. You can't substitute. You end up wanting to substitute it for the, for the progress. Uh, it's good to remember the past, and it's good to thank God for his goodness, but it always encourages us, should encourage us to move forward. You say, preacher, I still don't understand what you're talking about. Let me just put it in terms where you will. I'm still looking forward for a 2,000-seat auditorium over here where we can all meet together in one church. Huh? Huh? Don't you say anything. Let, let me ask you something. When we voted to build this building here, we didn't have 200 people worshiping, and we built an 1,100-seat auditorium. 
It looks to me like it took more faith to do that than what it would be to build a new worship center. Hmm? You say, preacher, yeah, we're going to pray you die. If I, they, you know. <laughs> I'm just telling you. You say, God, the, 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 the God can't do it. God can do it. He has done it. He is doing it, and he will do it. I, 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 I'm all for the two services and all. We got to do that thing. But I'll tell you, can you imagine being all together and hearing about a hundred in that choir singing? Plus, son, we're gonna have some worship services in there. And then it's gonna be when I die, it's gonna be up to case to fill it up. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> you can't worship the past. Get rid of it. Second thing, though, is we're burning incense to a brass serpent by confusing the form of power with the source of power. You say, now, preacher, what, what, what do you mean by that? Well, let me give it to you straight, East Texas style. You begin to worship the blessings and not the blesser. You get mixed up on who the real power is. You're thinking it's going to be our... Uh, methods. We've organized this. You want to know why we have evangelism initiative on Sunday? Did, did I tell you that it was only one time a month? It's only one hour a month. Uh, you know why we have it? We have four teams. One, two, three, four. Tonight's Randy Houston. He's out here somewhere. There he is right there. His team's tonight at five o'clock. You know why we have his team at five o'clock? Because you wouldn't do it if we didn't. If, if we all did what we're supposed to do, we wouldn't need no methods to have evangelism. But you're not going to do it. You want to know why the prayer room has sign-up sheets in there so you can come and pray 30 minutes to an hour one time a week? Now, we're, we're not asking you to do it every day. We're talking one time a week. It's because if we didn't have it, you wouldn't do it. This is the worst church I ever seen about anybody signing up. I mean, Wednesday night suppers, is Sheila in here today? We, we've looked over that and laughed over that. You know, we have to say, sign, well, you say, sign up, sign up. You got to sign up for Wednesday night supper. 35 people sign up, we'd have 250 here. Huh? Hey, if we're not careful, we begin to think, you know what we did? The reason this church has grown is because we had a good outreach program. Mm -mm. Oh, no, it's grown because we've had good life groups. All those things are important. All of those things are very important. You ought to be in a life group purse, uh, place, uh, a place where it's teaching the Word of God and, and meeting your scriptural needs. Now, I know we've got some life groups that are not teaching. They're, they're, they're teaching specialty items and not not Bible teaching, but we have some that are teaching Bible teaching. If you go into one and you don't like it, don't go back. Get you another one. We got them all over the place here. Well, these folks were worshiping that serpent because uh, it was a good thing relic a long time ago, and they just never quit. For 700 years, I think sometimes we're doing the same thing. We're, we, we come up and we're, uh, the Southern Baptists have more programs than any bunch I've ever seen in my entire life.
We got, I think there's like 17 different evangelism uh, programs we've got when all you need to do is learn the Roman road and read it right out of your Bible. We get to thinking that what God blesses are methods. Robert Murray McChaney said this, God blesses likeness to Jesus Christ. That's what he blesses. The other reason God sometimes doesn't bless all these programs, because if he did bless them, we'd all sit around and take credit for it. And it's God that does everything. I'm not saying we don't need to plan. I'm not saying we don't need to have programs and methods. I'm not saying that at all. God used that brass serpent. But I want to tell you, if you're not careful, you'll begin to worship the blessings instead of the blesser. And we never need to get to that point. Let me finish with this. We are offering incense to brass serpents when we find ourselves substituting a dead experience for a living relationship. What you need this morning, some of you, is not another experience. I remember in the 70s, man, it looked like God was going to do some great things. We started these things called lay renewals and all of this stuff. And there are others that have followed through now, too. But in the 70s, we started talking about our experiences. And we started making it an experience and not a relationship. And I don't care how many experiences you've had, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're not prepared to meet him. That's the only way that you can be prepared. We, we, we burn incense to a brazen serpent when we substitute a dead experience for a living relationship. You remember when Moses went up on the mountain and he came down? He didn't know the difference, but all the people saw him and he was glowing. They said, wow, he's been with God. He's glowing. And so it became such an experience with him. If you'll read on, Moses began to wear a veil so they couldn't tell if he'd been up on the mountain that morning or not. <laughs> I've been to some churches that there were times when, man, God was all over that place and things were going great. And you go back 10 years later, and they're still wearing the veil, but God ain't been there in 10 years. We got to be careful that we're not worshiping uh, uh, an experience that happened to us. I remember what happened to me in the summer of 1953, and boy, this is, hey, what happened to you today? You see, everything I look at on salvation, and I, I'm not saying you lose your salvation. I'm just saying that everything I find about studying about salvation is it's a present-day experience. It's in the present tense. It's not in the past tense. Uh, you say, preacher, how, how do you know when you've gone from the dead uh, experience to a living relationship? Well, in, in the 70s there, everything started kind of, uh, was based on relationships. Churches split. They said, we, you know, we're leaving this church. The reason we're leaving is because it's dead. It's dead. Now, I, some of you like a dead church. And if you do, I got a whole list of them that you can go to. But I want to tell you, I'm going to keep this one shouting as long as I can. I mean, I, I just, I don't want to be around something dead. 
We'll have a funeral when we go to kill it. But they had lost consciousness. You lose consciousness of God's presence. You say, how do you know the difference? Let me tell you how I know the difference. This morning, you could sense the Holy Spirit in this place. And the choir was singing, and many of you all over started standing up, lifting your hands. Amen? It's what we call spontaneous. You know how you know you're dead? When God's in the place and you're just sitting there. But the music director says, come on, stand up with us. He's trying to get you to stand up, but you're dead. You're based on a, an experience. Uh, only time I'm going to raise my hand, and then I don't like to do it, is when we sing, let's just lift our hands toward heaven. I mean, I'd be a hypocrite if I didn't raise my hand. We just got through singing. I, I've, I'll tell you, one of these days, I'm going to cut loose in here. He's going to sing that song, So Help Me, one of these days. When he says he turns our mourning into dancing, and I'm being a cut loose right across this stage here, I guarantee you. Woo! You remember when James, Peter, and John went up on the Mount of Transfiguration? And they said, Lord, it's good. It's good. This is a good experience. Let's just build three tabernacles one for Moses, one for Elijah, one for Jesus. And about that time, thunder came out of heaven, and God spoke and said, this is my son. He's not on equal ground with Moses or Elijah, or you either. He's everything. He's everything. Peter and, and them wanted to do a camp based on past experience. Jesus said, there's more to do. There's more to do. Uh, what do we do? One thing is this. I've got three. We need to recognize the idols we've got, whatever they are. Some of you young people have no idea what I'm talking about, but back when I was a young person, it hadn't been that long ago. <laughs> I remember it. We used to have bonfires. Some hot rod evangelist would come into church and we'd all get under conviction and we'd bring our eight tracks and cassettes and throw them in the fire. Burn them up. Amen? Any of y'all remember those days? Sunday night after church, man, here they'd come bringing them bathing suits and all this stuff, anything that didn't honor God, and we'd build a bonfire and burn it all up. You've you got to recognize where your idols are. I don't know what they are. You're going to have to decide that. But you've got to recognize them and name them. And then the second thing you've you, you got to do is you've got to destroy them. Get rid of them. They're not going to do you any good while, the, you're, the, while you're trying to have revival in your house and you've got idols there that are keeping God from moving. It's not going to do you any good. And then thirdly, Get the people to seek in God a fresh anointing. Lord, we need a fresh anointing. We cannot borrow from yesterday. Come and feed us, O Holy Spirit. Teach us of Jesus, his will and his ways. It's what we need in this church. 
Now, let me just close with this. I know that I'm talking to many, many people in this place. You believe in the second coming. You believe that Jesus is going to come again. And there are some of us in this place that believe in a pre-tree of coming. That means we believe that the Lord's going to come back and call us up before the tribulation. I'm one of those. I'm not going to lie about it. But there are some of you here that believe in a what we call a mid-trib. You think we're going through half the tribulation and then God's going to call us. And then there are some in this place that think we're post-trib, that we're going to go through all the tribulation and then God's going to call us home. We can disagree. It's kind of like when your kids tell you, hey, uh, Mom, Dad, we're coming to see you. And uh, I said, okay, uh, what time? We'll have supper. What time? We'll be there at 6. Becky said, no, they're coming at 5. I said, no, they said 6. No, they're coming at 5. Well, it ends up we're both wrong. You can add two hours to whatever they tell you, and they're coming around 8 or 9, what they're doing. We, we may sit around and argue that when the Lord may come, but I want to tell you, there's not a one of us in this building today that does not believe Jesus will come. That's the thing we need to major on. He's coming back. He's coming back. This same Jesus, they said, these angels that you saw lifting up, he's going to come back. Now, let me just get my mind straight because I'm simple-minded. The fact that there's a second coming would not that mean that there had to be a first coming? Yeah. You see, he came the first time as a baby in a manger. He came and he was crucified, hung him on a cross, mocked him, laughed at him, put a crown of thorns on his head, all those things. And he arose that third day. And he ascended up into heaven after 40 days. And he's interceding for us right now. But there's coming a day. I don't know when. I think it's soon. I think it's going to be very soon. Not based on what's happening in America, but based on what's happening in our world. People today are saying, oh, I'm so, I'm so sorry about America. I don't know what we're going to do. You know, I can tell you what we're going to do. We ain't going to make it. Because the Lord's going to come back. And then we're not going to worry about it. He's coming. Here's the deal. The first time, you had a little slack to play with. You've had a couple of thousand plus years to, to make your plans with God. But the second time he comes, there's no slack to play with it. I mean, if the Holy Spirit's speaking to your heart today, today is the day of salvation. Right now is the day you need to be saved. I don't care who you are. I don't care how many times you've been baptized. I don't care what denomination you are. None of that makes any difference. What the difference is, is do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? That's it. Now, that's that group, first group. The second group is the rest of us in this place that we know we're saved. There's no doubt. But you probably ought to be the very first one to hit this altar and warm these aisles up and come down here and fall on your face and just begin to name the idols that you've got in your house that you need to get rid of when you get home. And see if God doesn't bless.
Lord, thank you again for the power of your Holy Spirit. We sent your presence in this place. Lord, would you save people today that are so close to eternity? They don't know how close they are. But I pray you'd save them. I pray, God, this altar would be filled with people that will admit, God, I've, I've not done my best. I've I, I put little things over there that mean more to me than you do. And I pray, Lord Jesus, we would focus our attention upon you. Have your way in Jesus' name. Would you stand together? Don't hesitate. Come on right now.